So I think in our after actions, uh, what we've discovered regarding wildfire impact to facilities is that facilities underestimate the fire behavior. They've got that optimistic bias that they think they're on the periphery. The other impact of wildfire, other than direct flame impingement, uh, is the smoke and the, and the air quality and the residual effect that that has on providers of all types and businesses of all types. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Stan Spitek, President of Fire and Life Safety. Within the fire safety community, Stan is better known by another name, and that's Stan the Fireman. Love to hear the story behind that. (laughs) Stan, how are you? Thanks so much for being here. Well, I'm good, Peter. And I guess with a last name like mine, uh, a nickname like Stan the Fireman uh, is not a bad thing. It was given to me by one of my clients early on in my consulting practice when I was still active as a career firefighter. But she looked at my last name and she said, yeah, I'll never be able to pronounce that. She said, you know what? You're just going to be Stan the Fireman. So I've got that reputation, you know, around the country. People will see me in an exhibit hall. They'll be like, hey, aren't you Stan the Fireman? So (laughs) it's corny, but it works. It does. I see a kid show coming out. He had Bob the Builder and now Stan the Fireman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, excellent. It's really fantastic to have you here. And with everything going on in the Western U.S. this year, especially so. And I'm really excited to dig into your knowledge around building a wildfire preparedness plan. But before we begin, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your background, as well as a bit about your company, Fire and Life Safety? Sure. Stan the Fireman uh, was born out of the fact, and I'm going to date myself right out of the box, (laughs) but I've been involved with uh, fire safety from a first responders perspective to a consulting perspective for the last 44 years. I got on the fire department in 1977 in the Chicago area when many of the departments in the suburban Chicago area were either paid on call or volunteer organizations. And, you know, we talk about the importance of role models in our life. You know, people are influenced by sports figures or movie stars. To me, it was the local fire department that came to my school when I was in first grade, put me up on the side of that fire truck during fire prevention week, put that scary mask up to my face and made such an impression on me that I said, I'm going to be one of them. I was fortunate enough to be hired as one of the community's first full-time firefighter paramedics. And in a 20-year career, 26 years total on the fire department, 20 years full-time, the department transitioned from a paid-on-call response agency to a full-time, fully staffed agency. I retired in 2003 uh, at the ripe old age of 42. Uh, I did what all good Chicago area firefighters do. I moved to Mesa, Arizona, but I didn't really... (laughs) 
I didn't really um, retire. Well, I retired from the fire service as deputy fire chief and fire marshal and emergency manager in the community. But I shifted gears and I started to pursue my passion and that being a full-time fire and life safety consultant. And therefore, the company is called Fire and Life Safety Incorporated. And we work with providers of all types around the country. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that background. It gives good context to our listeners to understand where you're coming from. Well, let's go ahead and jump into it. So we actually have an in-house meteorologist here at Alert Media. And one of the things that he's monitoring very closely right now are the drought conditions in much of the Western U.S. And it appears rather likely that this year could be really rather historic for wildfires, which, I mean, is saying a lot after what we've been through in recent years. So clearly things can change, but when you observe all the conditions as they exist right now, does that assessment match up with what you're seeing and hearing? And can you tell our listeners a little more about what to expect perhaps later this summer and early fall? Sure. Living in Arizona, the wildfire season has hit us hard. It's hit us early. And I think we're expecting the same thing in California. Now you mentioned, you know, each year or the last couple of years have been historic. You know, there's a lot of published data, and I think even your podcast has uh, touched upon it, that history is, uh, we're making history every year. Uh, Fire behavior and characteristics due to environmental conditions are completely uncharacteristic of what urban and wildland firefighters used to deal with in the, the, the past. Whether we're talking the campfire, the fires that affected uh, here in Arizona near Flagstaff, uh, the Wallow Fire, every single fire seems to be bringing on a new dimension of, of rapidity or rapid fire development and smoke uh, incursion that we're seeing in communities that we've never seen before. And, you know, when I was on a previous podcast with someone, they mentioned how you have years of rain and then drought and that rain you think is good, but in reality, it's not so much in the years where the drought comes because the rain leads to vegetation growing and then the drought causes it to dry out and becomes fuel. So are you seeing a lot of that as being a potential issue this year as well? Absolutely. And even here at my home base where I live in Northeast Mesa, Arizona, up on a little foothill, I told my wife just last night, I said, you know, we we hope and pray for rain, especially in the winter and spring. But when our brownish looking mountain behind us turns a beautiful green, that's trouble. Because as it's going to dry out, that fuel load is going to be there. And even communities like subdivisions and urbanized or suburbanized areas where I live, where we would never have thought wildfires being a risk, it's right at our back door. It really is. Well, other than the uh, most important aspects of wildfire safety, which is protecting life and property, what else is at risk from wildfires that people should be aware of and may not be? Well, I just think that we've got to think about uh, protecting the infrastructure, uh, things that we take for granted, our um, air quality within our buildings, the chemical residue that's left behind from a wildfire, the impact that it has on our uh, infrastructure, our uh, communication pathways that we just take for granted. You expect to um, swipe a a device, flip a phone or press a dial and and you expect everything to work. So I just think it's all the things that we take for granted. And, you know, another thing that that I think is, is a germane factor in any kind of disaster or emergency is a concept called optimistic bias. Uh, Okay. I'm going to buy a place in the Bay Area. Sure, they're subject to earthquakes, but, you know, there hasn't been a really big one since what, maybe Loma Prieta or 100 plus years ago in San Francisco. 
But, you know, I often start out my training sessions by saying something like this. It's a normal day at your facility until it isn't. Well, does the fact that this season is predicted to be historic change how businesses should plan for or perhaps prioritize wildfire safety? Well, I, th- I think we're, we're on a trend that we're going to see history breaking the records every single year. So I, th- I think that while we can ex- expect or anticipate some significant fire activity, I think the planning protocols um, need to focus on the general em- elements of a good emergency operation plan. And that is that you've got a plan for all hazards. It doesn't matter if it's a fire, flood, shooter, power failure. You've got a planning process that uses the concept of hazard vulnerability assessment and then translates to an all hazards emergency management plan, which includes use of the incident command system so that regardless of the particular elements of the emergency and the way that it has a tendency of going sideways, you've got a plan from the, the mitigation to the response to continuity of operations to the recovery. That facility had a plan and they executed that plan. An incident command is a system of command and control, otherwise known as management by objectives, where someone has to be in charge. And that person is the incident commander. One of the things that we had to train our long-term care providers to understand was that incident commander doesn't have to be your administrator or your executive director. It doesn't need to be your maintenance director. It has to be whoever is available at the time of the incident. In this case, the only person of of any management authority that was available at that skilled nursing facility was, I think she was the activities director. So someone that you wouldn't consider being the incident commander, but they had a plan. She had some training, some decisions had to be made, and they had to evacuate that facility. And the reason that we didn't hear about the 160 residents and staff members dying at that facility is because they um, figuratively pulled the trigger early. They got out of Dodge, and even though the building was burnt to the ground, I, I often open up many of my presentations with an image of that building, and I say, that's a skilled nursing facility. That's your facility. That's any facility. But the reason that you didn't hear about a tragedy is because they executed their plan and um, it worked. Wow, that's fantastic. Sometimes you can learn as much, if not even more, from mistakes. So in contrast, are there any instances you can think of when wildfire safety planning and execution could have been better? Yeah, you know, it it really is about heeding the warning. And one of the ways that we determine where our opportunities for improvement are or if I don't want to be politically correct, where were our problems? You know, we do an after action review or, um, you know, a critique of our incident. And that was something that we would do regularly on the fire department. But some of the after action findings in incidents where um, long-term care facilities or other healthcare providers could have done better is that they didn't heed the warning or they didn't have communication capabilities in place to provide that warning. Um, Maybe they had a fractionalized communication capability. Maybe they had the old-fashioned phone tree, but we've got to embrace newer technologies. So I think in our after actions, uh, what we've discovered regarding wildfire impact to facilities is that facilities underestimate the fire behavior. They've got that optimistic bias that they think they're on the periphery. The other impact of wildfire, other than direct flame impingement, 
uh, is the smoke and the, and the air quality and the residual effect that that has on providers of all types and businesses of all types. Well, heed the advice, I think, is what really stands out from that. Well, let's get into some specifics on how businesses can be better prepared for wildfire season. When you begin working with an organization, and I think you talked about this a little bit before, but how do you overall assess their key risks and their overall preparedness? Well, it, it isn't just a plan. Anything when it comes to emergency management um, really needs to be a programmatic approach. So a lot of people will check their plan and think that, okay, the plan gives us some guidelines or a framework work on how to respond, but the program is so much more than a written document. Uh, it's the stuff, the food, the water, the pre-designated uh, relocation sites, the transportation assets. So basically, you know, as wildfire season approaches, uh, providers or businesses of all types need to do a complete uh, inventory of their capabilities. Um, they've got to know that if furloughs or vacations are scheduled, if we've got um, anticipation of a significant season or period of time, you know, sometimes tough decisions need to be made where, and it, it, it happened in the fire service and in the first response world that all vacations or furloughs have been recalled or suspended. Mm. You've got to make sure that your expiration dates on that water or food that may have been in your basement or storeroom for 10 years or more, that it's actually going to be useful and, and not harmful. Um, you've got to have stand up meetings with your folks. And it doesn't need to be an hour. It doesn't need to be 30 minutes. Maybe it's five or 10 minutes in a morning meeting saying, okay, folks, uh, it's dry out there. It's windy. Uh, our meteorologists are telling us that uh, conditions are favorable. We're in a red flag warning. We've got to heed the advice of local authorities and not just say, well, you know what? Our assisted living facility has got an outing to a local lake for a picnic, mm. but maybe we're going to have to cancel that because we don't want to be caught in the crosshairs of a fast moving event. So it's just taking that holistic Pro programmatic approach, not just to a plan, not just to a specific capability like our communication capability or our incident command system. you got to look at the whole enchilada. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. So for those out there who just want to get started with something, what would you recommend to them as the key or perhaps the primary components of a wildfire prep plan that an organization should implement or incorporate just to start? Well, you got to start with with the the host, and the host would be the building. Is the building going to be capable of allowing you to protect the environment, especially if you're going to stay operational, where you might have wildfire conditions several miles away, but air quality is um, affected? Uh, we don't want people to be exposed to everything that's harmful in the air. A, a typical first response is, you know what, uh, the administrator. The general manager will say to maintenance or buildings and grounds, let's go shut down all of our air, air intake. Well, that's a temporary measure. One of the things that we find out, I, I work with a grant front funded program here in Arizona where we've dealt with some pretty significant wildfires recently. And we did a, a program where we followed up with facilities to check on their environments of care following the pandemic. And we found that because either due to the 
to wildfires, many healthcare facilities had previously shut down their air intakes to protect the environment, but never opened them back up. Oh, wow. So the takeaway that I'm, I'm trying to communicate is that if you're going to close down something for a temporary measure, when the threat has passed, you've got to open up those air intakes so that you've got fresh air coming into your building. So making sure that the building is prepared, points of egress are accessible, um, that um, you know the team is, is cocked, ready, and loaded to, to respond to the emergency in a blink of an eye. Yeah, no, that's great advice. What kind of trainings or guidance do you provide for organizations on what to do before, during, and after wildfire incidents? And really how often should the company practice those drills or procedures? Well, in my world, and in many providers' worlds, and even private sector industry, all roads lead to incident command. You've got to have a framework of response, and incident command is management by objectives where someone, it doesn't have to be you as the leader or the boss of the organization, but someone is in a position to take charge. So brushing up on uh, your team's knowledge of ICS, how it works, how it's management by objective uh, that's based on delegation and assessing a situation, making sure that objectives are met during a specific time period and then reassessed. You know, ICS, and if you're the incident commander, like the incident commander in paradise, he or she is the big thinker looking at the whole response and knowing that your team understands that there are going to be leaders there are going to be doers or people in charge of operation. There's going to be thinkers, people that will be focused on planning. There'll be getters. Those will be the people that are focusing on the logistics to support the operation. And then there's going to be the payers, the people that are going to write the check or have the cash available. And I think I heard in one of your other podcasts, um, a speaker talked about, I think it was your um, speaker from the Coca-Cola company who talked about cash is king in these emergencies. So it's that whole programmatic approach that is wildfire season approaches. We brush up on our incident command structure well in advance, at least probably once a year. You do an exercise, whether it's a discussion-based exercise or a tabletop exercise where you just pull out the plan, you look at the framework, but you also acknowledge because you really want to promote levels of flexibility in any plan. We do like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide the listeners with a tip or a lesson learned that they can take back to their organizations to make an immediate impact. So with that in mind, what can the audience do to improve their company safety culture or preparedness when it comes to wildfires specifically? Well, I think you've got to review the lessons from the past. You've got to um, watch the documentaries, absorb as much information as possible, especially if you serve a vulnerable population or you have a mission critical role within your community, even if you are a private sector company. I'm telling you, your interview with the lady from the Coca-Cola company, you know, we don't necessarily think of a, a, a recreational beverage like Coke as being critical to the infrastructure. But when I listened to your interview and I learned how much water that they provided, how much water resource that they provided, you know, to the community at large by way of FEMA, you know, 
you might be more critical to the infrastructure, or maybe you can be a community partner or a helper if you simply have space that you can provide to first responders or resources that you can provide to support the incident. So if you experience your own incident, and even if it didn't turn out to be a major catastrophe, my advice to you is always do an after action review. Mm -hmm. If not, develop an after action report where you can cite your strengths, your vulnerabilities, your gaps, your ops for improvement, and then make changes to your plans based on what people have learned. And I think for people that are in the urban wildfires urban wildfire interface. You've got to learn from the campfire, from the wallow fire, from the tragedy on Yarnell Hill, where those 19 firefighters were lost here in Arizona several years ago. The unexpected is a blink of an eye away. There was a time where we didn't imagine people intentionally flying airliners into skyscrapers. Plan for the worst and even beyond that. You're going to be glad that you did. And you'll even find out in your after action report, man, we didn't expect this. It's all about knowing the hazards and planning to the best of your capabilities. It's never a one and done. Well said. All right. Well, stand the fireman. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being on the show today. We really appreciate your time, expertise, and advice. It was my pleasure to be here. If anyone out there listening has follow-up questions or wants to connect with you, perhaps employ your services, what's the best way for them to find you out there? So uh, it's flsafety.org is my website. Or the easiest email that I have would be stan at azhca.org. Excellent. And I think we need to set you up with a Stan the Fireman website. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> well, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.